welcome to Garage Night, where we try to talk about anything car-related. I'm Randall. I'm Jeff. I'm Andy. And I'm Dan. And tonight we discuss the importance of winter tires, connected cars, and our favorite supercars. Yeah, so we're going to just kind of go in sequence here and start with why winter tires are so very important. Randy, why are winter tires important? Yeah, I'm glad you asked, Dan. You know, sometimes, you know, by early spring, people decide, I don't need my winter tires on or don't bother with them at all to begin with because, you know, it's not going to snow much. But then they decide, hmm, I'm going to go over a mountain that has a pass of over 4,000 feet in elevation and sure, there are ski resorts up there, but I'm sure it won't be super snowy. And I've got brand new all-season tires, so I'll be just fine, right? Smash cut to me in my new-to-me pickup truck heading back from vacation. And it's snowing up on Mount Hood outside of Portland here. And it's it's snowing pretty good. It's about a light blizzard. All the lines are gone on the road and, you know, just, all right, keep your cool. Everyone's doing about 40 uh, to keep it safe. Not a lot of cars on the road, but on our way down the mountain, just as you, you cross the highest point, the Accord in front of me decides to tap their brakes. Never tap your brakes in a snow situation. They then make it worse by overcorrecting. So they fishtail one way, overcorrect. And then the whole car begins to spin. And so, of course, I get off the gas. I'm like, I'm not going to hit this guy. Luckily, it's a very wide part of the road. No problem. But no sooner do I get uh, off the accelerator and reach over to turn on my hazards as I feel that just gut-wrenching bump from the back of the car. No, no. It's like 7 o'clock. I just want to go home. Had a fun trip, but it's time to go home. You know, I've got motorcycles in the back and just ready to ready to move on but then you know now i've been in a car accident is it going to get worse pull off to the side of the road and long story short you know despite their best efforts as an attentive driver slamming on your brakes downhill in four inches of snow with all season tires will not stop a compact suv very quickly you know, not not much you can do when someone's following too close behind you in those situations. So I'm not too upset with with everything that went down, but uh, the truck took took the impact like a champ. It's the rear bumper and the tailgate are knackered; they're done. But there doesn't seem to be any outstanding damage to the to the bed itself or to the frame. So. It'll be a quick exchanging of, of information and be back on the road. But the only reason I bring this up is to encourage people get winter tires. They make a difference. When I put winter tires on our 2012 Focus, just a front wheel drive, four cylinder automatic, it was incredible how well it did in the snow, uh, even compared to like my, my Ranger with uh, all terrains on it, you know, three peak mountain rated uh, tires. So snow tires are not a ripoff. They're definitely worth your, your time and money if you're going to be in those conditions because watching how far their car slid 
without me even breaking the the disparity in in speed is is impressive so kind of opening up to the floor like do you guys have a lot of experience with snow tires do you guys feel they're worth it i've i've always put snow tires on my vehicles and i've always gotten um ridiculed uh by having studs on my my ford bronco or studs on my falcon and oh you don't need that you have four-wheel drive blah 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 i'm like well you know when you're on ice uh studs really help or winter tires really help um so, Four-wheel drive doesn't matter if you're braking. That's what I always tell nope. people. I said it makes it makes no difference if you're braking because either no. way you're four-wheel braking. Yeah, no, you need the yeah, sets. You're just dealing. Yeah, exactly. You just you're dealing with inertia and friction and mechanical grip, and the more you can get of that mechanical grip, uh, the better that you're gonna be. <laughs> and you know, certain tires are cut out to do just that in snowy and icy conditions your all seasons or all terrains aren't just going to do as good as a dedicated snow tire. One of the reasons for that is the actual uh, composition of the rubber in the tires on winter rated or specifically winter tired, sorry, winter uh, tires. um, They have a softer rubber that um, will stay pliable at colder temperatures. Whereas uh, a normal car, they don't want them to be too soft in 80 or 90 degree weather because they'll chunk apart or they'll simply wear faster, uh, meaning you get less value out of the tire and you're less likely to buy them again. So just like you shouldn't run your winter tires in the summer or they'll come apart. Um, and I'm speaking specifically of, of studless because that's what I have uh, experience in myself. Uh, but you also shouldn't run tires that are meant to run in 90 degree weather when it's 18 degrees out it's you know in my experience i think the winter tires also have a large amount of silica in them to uh to help provide grip in that way as well yeah they 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 generally do yes dan you uh because you you drive in all sorts of weather um with all-wheel drive uh being as what you do so you probably can see a lot of a to b difference on the same roads in the same car with uh winter tires no absolutely there is i just got the the set of tires off my car maybe beginning of march and i almost always run them uh mid-november through uh through beginning of march it's just Sure, on the dry days, it's kind of a pain because you have a little less mechanical grip um, than you normally would with with regular tires. But uh, on those days when you're up on the mountain, like you were talking about, or, you know, those two days a year where we actually get snow in the valley um, this year a lot more, it, it makes a huge difference. And even though I had uh, relatively low clearance, um, with all-wheel drive and studs, I, I've never gotten stuck, and uh, I've also never been in a crash. So it makes, you know, it makes a huge difference. But and I have driven a few times through very snowy, icy conditions without them, and it it gets scary. It can get real sketchy. Uh, I've, I uh, early in the winter season, I was still out in the five series with summer tires on, 
and you know the the burly v8 and i came up over a crest that had frozen and it it's it's in the shade the whole morning so it hadn't thawed uh at all by morning and uh yeah the car just about went into the other lane luckily there's no traffic out that direction but it reminded me of two things first of all you know the importance of the right tires second of all don't drive the rear drive uh v8 uh car with summer tires in december just don't do it oh come on not unless it's a dry day no well this was a dry day but it had it had just it had uh frosted and frozen up on this crest so yeah this thing is it seemed fine when i got in but it's like oh that's right it's you know, when my car is dinging and saying it's 29 degrees out, I should probably heed its warning. Absolutely. And especially on, on the rear-wheel drive cars, that's something I've noticed as well. It, seem, it seems to, uh, when it does go, it goes quicker. Yeah, you get a bit of that snap-over steer kind of going. Yep. With the all-wheel drive, at least there, there's a chance you can save it because most of them are uh, front-wheel bias, a little bit at least. And... Um, you know, while that's, you know, from a purely performance standpoint, you can make arguments against that. But, um, when you're talking about keeping the vehicle on the road, it's, it is the better way to go in my opinion. Yeah. Front wheel drive vehicles are relatively easy to drive in the snow compared to, you know, I, I drove my Ranger exclusively for 10 years, uh, every, every winter. And yeah, it can be, it can be a bit of a handful when it's just trying to just push up hills. Uh, and Andy, you've you've now moved to a place that gets decided me decidedly more snow than the uh, than the Portland metro area in the winter. Uh, have you have you seen have you had to kind of change how long you keep tires on or how adamant you are about that? <clears throat> so this year, um, I had the Mazda the end of 2020 and I didn't get the explore until this, I think like late January of this year. So I kind of got it, two scoops of it really. Um, I didn't have, um, I didn't, I never ended up with any snow tires or anything for the Mazda. Um, I mean, it did all right with just the all seasons it had, but it never saw any like hardcore snow. Um, so I can't speak to that. The Explorer, we probably did get a solid six, eight inches of snow over a couple of days with just the factory tires. They all, I think they're all the all seasons. I think they're hand cooks on that. Um, it did phenomenal with just that. Um, <clears throat> eventually I will get something probably specifically snow, um, either studless or studded and haven't decided yet this will be you know next year's decision but um yeah the explorer did fine this year with it um but in the past the escort used to i had a set of studded tires on all four on the escort and that thing was a trooper in the snow and when we had snowpocalypse years ago when everybody was stuck and there was eight hour traffic jams to get across town yeah yeah i remember that I had that thing um, up and down iced over hills in Milwaukee when everything was jammed, just mobbing past people with the with the studs on that thing. It was a fucking beast. Yeah, those lightweight front drive cars can can do some impressive things in inclement weather given the right circumstances. Again, it's more limited by 
the amount of snow. Like I know the focus got stuck once we got past about six inches of snow. I don't know if it's because it was starting to drag uh, undercarriage stuff and taking power away. But uh, just like uh, we talked about a couple episodes ago, Jeff's Falcon did really good up in the snow until he started dragging oil pan. But as long as it was shallow enough, it, he did really good. Um, so I guess Jeff uh, got tired of uh, uh, <laughs> just listening to wind noise. <laughs> Yeah, there's lots of that in the Falcon with that roof rack. Um, so yeah, I you know when I first got the Falcon, the um, the radio worked uh, okay, you know, spotty uh, AM two radio Motorola from 1960, you know, uh, and at some point along the line, uh, it decided that it didn't want to work anymore. Um, so I. Uh, family finally found a guy. I reached out to a guy that I had met at uh, in the pre-COVID times at the antique roadshow thing that came in to uh, to Portland at the convention center. They had all these old antique stuff for sale, and he had his booth with all these really cool old radios in it. And so I talked with him, and um, so I I still had his phone number from years ago. And then I ended up calling him and saying, "Hey, do you know anybody that can fix an old?" automotive radio i've got this radio and so he he put me in touch um and actually he ended up taking it to the guy for me and then bringing it back which is really nice but he uh he took it to this guy named blake um and blake rebuilt the radio fixed fixed all of the uh necessary problems inside the radio and uh, got it working again and um, i just got it back uh this last week and installed it and it works great i've got some sweet AM talk radio to listen to now. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but the good thing is, is there's one company out there, uh, that makes a, an AM radio, uh, like converter, I guess, to play your music, you know, through a, an auxiliary port, which I know is super antiquated now, but, um, they still make it. So, uh, you know, if you have your dongle, you can play music through your, uh, through your phone. Um, you know, via the, via like a headphone jack. Um, it, and this basically plugs directly in line with your antenna signal. So when you're not listening to the AM radio and you play something through your, uh, you know, through your, through the, it's called ready rad. Um, if you play through the ready rad, uh, through your phone or whatever, you can listen to all your music, but it gets kind of filtered through the old vintage radio and the electronics and stuff. And, and has that kind of real authentic lo-fi sound that people are now, artificially doing but it comes through in a very authentic way in the old radio which is pretty cool so i'm kind of looking forward to trying that so um, is, is that like my... is that like the fm transmitter that we all used for our <laughs> ipods in high school uh you know circa late 2000s where you're transmitting into the air and then pulling it down or is it a direct plug into your uh antenna receiver it's a direct plug um i tried finding something that was and an AM uh, transmitter, but they just, you know, the market is so small for that, that it just doesn't exist. Um, it just, it just strictly doesn't exist. So, uh, you know, amplitude modulated uh, radio, uh, you know, shortwave radio interceptors just are not a thing that ever would have caught on. And I was hoping, you know, maybe I could get on the Arduino boards or something and build, build something. Um, but I just haven't gotten that passionate about it yet. So 
I figured I'd try the Ready Rad for like a hundred bucks, just see how it works out, and that plugs directly in line to the antenna port on the radio, which on you know on a car from 1960 is really easy to access. Like it's right there. You just crawl under the car and you'll see it right there. Plug it right in, and you're good to go. Um, and it's got an extra long cable. You could just run it in your glove box or whatever and uh, play your music. And you know, I of course plan to play my Fallout uh, soundtrack. So I can listen to the ink, the ink spots, or the uh, or Billy Holiday, um, you know, or Dick Hames, or any of those guys from the '50s, and just cruise around, enjoy it, you know, be totally embody the the year and the age of the car. It's it's fun. Right, Shame, shameless plug for uh, your appearance on uh, just another side quest uh, last week, uh, the video game yeah. podcast. Yeah, we talked about mostly Fallout. Yeah, that was that was actually a really uh, fun episode. I enjoyed that, and uh, hopefully we'll do another one here soon. Yeah, it was cool. Check it out. Um, well, that sounds that sounds really neat. Like, uh, it'd be interesting to. Well, I look forward to hearing that uh, quote unquote lo-fi sound. That sounds sounds cool. Uh, let's see, uh, Andy, you um, what is it that you usually do? Uh, break break things and attempt to fix them. Yeah, that's 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 the one. Did you do that again? Yeah, per usual. Oh, cool. We can always count on you for being consistent. I'm glad I can provide content. <laughs> What's going on, man? So I started, I had faint uh, whiffs of like that sweet smell of coolant over a couple mm. days. I thought I just had a small hose leak and then it progressively got worse over two days. And the third day, it got massive. Got off the freeway, coolant temp gauge spiked, and all hell broke loose. What what rig is this? Uh, Focus. Sorry, should have led with that, uh, but you know what? You <laughs> know it would what be. It'd suck me. if it was the Explorer, but then again, it'd have warranty. So <laughs> if it was the Explorer, it'd be at the dealer. <laughs> this would have been, been an easy fix. Um, I I made it to about a mile from my house, and um, long story short, I got I I. Basically ended up getting it limped back home. Um, so the thermostat housing on this car, it's a plastic, like kind of like a, it's, I, I don't know if it's a one piece, it's like a plastic cast or if it's a two piece casting deal or something, but long story short, it, it split and let go at a parting line and it decided to dump all the coolant when that let go and, the housing on this, it's a plastic housing that's bolted to the head right above the exhaust manifold. So, of course, it's getting the most heat you're going to get in the engine bay. So, that seems like a poor choice of material there, but this was also 2003. So, you know, poor decisions were made. Like the entire car. Hey, now. Hey, now. <laughs> I like that star. car. <laughs> Yeah, so I was like, okay, once I figured out what it was, I was like, okay, well, this shouldn't be terribly hard. Um, just get a new get a new housing. Um, it wasn't too bad to get to. I just basically had to take the coil and the bracket off and the intake out of the way, and it was fairly accessible, so it wasn't too bad. Uh, picked up a new housing, um, got that bolted on with the silicone set, and next day I went to fill it. And I filled it, and as soon as I got about halfway through filling it, it just, that unmistakable sound of coolant hitting the ground. I was like, um, what? 
why like i know i tightened all the hoses i put everything back on proper like okay is there something worse happening or did i do something stupid so at that point i tabled it because it was late at night i had to go to work the next morning so got back to it the next day got back underneath the car put cooling on it went it started dripping out again got underneath the car and yeah apparently there's two ports for different sending units on that housing um i didn't know when i took the old one off that there was two because there was only one uh connector to the sensor and it was right on top of the housing it was really you know easy to see it's like okay unplug that and just have to move the sensor over well did i know there's a plug on that on the focus that goes in the bottom one and i had swapped it all and broke rule number one of throwing away old parts before i knew 100 percent i didn't need them anymore and trash had already come so the old housing was gone with the plug i needed it took me two days to run down a different sensor and clip that holds the sensor in to fill that hole to get it put back together can you do anything with that sensor or do you, do you now just have a I just I, I I I just have a second sensor as a plug. So if 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 one ever fails, I can just move the pigtail to the other sensor. So Roderick was right. Yes, isn't he always? He thinks he is. A <laughs> A Ron. There's a there's a guy on our in our group chat that he's a he's a Ford tech, so we were able to get a lot of information off of him. He called it so. Yeah, well, and the, the the ironic thing is the new sensor that I got from the parts store wouldn't fit in that hole for this where where the plug went. It would only fit in the top hole. Like it was made slightly different, oh. just enough to be annoying. Yeah, but luckily I, I just I swapped them around and was able to get it back together and it runs fine now but it was it was something that should have taken a matter of a few hours it ended up into like over a week of headache well at least you got it per per usual i mean you know that's that's par for the course <laughs> so far so good the uh, so far so good yeah i'm i'm a, i'm afraid to turn into the mustang so it's just sitting in the garage for now <laughs> i don't blame i don't blame you wait for your luck to turn around a little bit yeah yeah we're waiting Awesome. Uh, Dan, how's your luck been? It's been good. Uh, everything's going well with the Jeep. I'm still loving it. Uh, there is really only one new thing that I've realized. And we'll see if you guys can guess how I'd like to solve it. Uh, sixth More gear. Power. Boost. Always boost. <laughs> okay. oh, go, ahead, go, go ahead. <laughs> Not as quick as Jeff. Uh, sixth gear under 75 miles an hour is useless yeah with the the lift and tires so fifth gear works fine i still actually get decent gas mileage with it but uh it there's just not enough power um on the lift and tires for sixth gear to legitimately be functional with the speed limits that we have around here okay now hold on hold on there is more that I don't, Andy, I, I hear you. I, I can, I know I can hear it from your brain. Boost power, boost power. Clarkson, step, step off. There, there is another option. Gears. You can re-gear, yeah. Yes. 
Gears. And so Gears is the other option. I'm not going to do that right now because we had talked about warranty issues and all that. But they will uh, let you do Gears. I'm, I'm, I would bet, I would bet dollars to donuts that I like donuts. Me too. Well, you would like donuts. <laughs> walked into that one, bud. <laughs> yeah, you did. On purpose. I, 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 I would bet that there's a factory approved uh, gear swap kit. I'm. There I would probably order. is. But that's not what like, you want. You want more power, is what it comes down to, and you found a good excuse. Yeah, I don't know. I'm assuming a supercharger kit would invalidate certain warranty aspects, but probably. But I would assume a gear kit you could probably get away with. Maybe, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to. Again, you don't have to go crazy. Maybe well, yeah, some of the factory, more fun. factory approved kits that you were talking about the the intake with a snorkel, the exhaust, uh, ECU. Maybe there's more. Maybe start. Uh, for me, this is an interesting way of uh, of doing a different build because everyone just says, "Oh, HCI, blah blah blah, heads cam intake." Uh, ECU, but check and see, confine yourself a little bit and see what can I do that completely keeps the warranty intact and start there. And then if it doesn't get you the results you want, then see what gets you out of the bumper and a bumper, but not the powertrain warranty. See if, see if there's things you can do to kind of work the system. Um, well, that's also true because the bumper to bumper is only 36 K. Yeah. So maybe so there's I wouldn't have to wait as long for that. That'd only be in like three years. Yeah, but I don't know if they count uh, running gear, like like gears as powertrain, or if that's part of the bumper to bumper. See, that's the thing. So maybe you can ask your local dealership and say, like, what can you give me a catalog and highlight all the stuff that I can get that's completely valid with what what warranty you bought the extended one that you bought just make sure that you're getting full value out of that while adding power maybe the supercharger kit because it is installed by them we were talking about a roush truck last episode and it came with its own powertrain warranty i believe to uh circumvent the problem with losing your factory one uh, and i've seen certain kits are like oh this keeps the manufacturer warranty you know so maybe there's a way for you to get the best of both worlds maybe there's certain companies that do supercharger kits that uh will give you a supplementary uh de facto warranty they might i'll have to look into that because they were claiming 350 wheel and that would be fun yeah that would definitely get six gear usable i would think Oh, absolutely. And probably get me in trouble. But yeah. On on the other hand, if you if you uh gear down a little bit, you'll you'll have a slower uh crawl rate. Uh and so for actual four wheeling with a manual, uh it would make that that much easier. You'd have a I mean, if you lower first gear with, you know, lowering your multiplication, you were increasing. Jeff knows the answer. Um, engineer where you at yeah right uh 
you would you would in you would in in effect lower your uh low range gearbox substantially by changing your gearing like that has a an added effect so at at a certain point with like uh 513s you can just put the thing in first and four low and get out and watch it crawl without you that is true although the other issue uh which is my first recall is that I need to take it in and have them replace the clutch pressure plate. What? Really? Yeah, apparently. It's slipping or what? Apparently it catches the car on fire after it disintegrates <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> wow, that's wow. a doozy. No, that's a Jeep thing. That's, it's a Jeep thing. It's a heap? It's a Jeep thing. You wouldn't understand. It's, it's a Jeep thing. Don't Jeep it. Yes. Did, you get the, did you get the bumper sticker that says, if you can read this, uh, roll, roll me, me over. over, and it's like a Jeep upside down? <laughs> it's upside down, yeah. yeah. I should get that. Have you, st- well, at least have you, you go- started doing the Jeep wave, too, to like other Jeep owners? Oh, I have. It's awesome. Good. At least if you go yeah. overlanding, you won't have to worry about trying to start I've a fire. I've just been disappointed because they've all been dudes. <laughs> um... <laughs> Well, it's a Jeep thing. Yeah, yeah it's a Jeep thing. <laughs> Jeep, bruh. Starts its own fire. Unless it's a I like, I like the. I, yeah, I do like that Jeep thing, though, where you can just, you know, you just dump the clutch and then put your tinder underneath the, the car. <laughs> just catch it all on fire. That's a good idea. There you go. Yeah, apparently that that's what they said. Uh, actually, in the letter was it can ignite and start a small brush fire. Burn the Jeep to the ground. Um, I was like, well, that's not it good. It seems like a feature. Like, if you don't want your Jeep anymore, you just <laughs> dump the clutch and let it go. They're just trying to kill. They're trying to kill all remaining manual transmission sales at this point. Yeah, yeah, I know. And I'm not going to let him do it. No, we'll take it in and have him uh, have him replace it and see how it goes. While but, they're there, just put a supercharger on it. Yeah. I have noticed, While you're at it. Um, <laughs> and Randy would know because he drove it, but the the clutch engagement has gotten better. Um, I am out of my field of expertise when it comes to if uh, whether or not that's a valid point. If clutches will, uh, as you put a, you know, because now I'm a little over 2,000 miles, as you put some mileage on them, they... They, I don't know if they kind of seat themselves or if they if they become uh, broken well, in in some way. But yes, and, it, yes it and legitimately no. feels the engagement feels better now than it did when I drove it off the lot. So it shouldn't change on yours because it's a hydraulic clutch. On a cable actuated clutch, the the cable over years will right. stretch and change your your engagement point relative to pedal position, but. As far as I understand it, if if your uh, hydraulic clutch changes its engagement position, that's something wrong with your slave cylinder. Yeah, you're I think probably gonna well, have a bad time. Well, I think I think what you you might be experiencing, Daniel, is possibly some of the material uh, mating to the flywheel surface. So you're getting some of that material transfer, and maybe your clutch now is broken in, so you're gonna have smoother engagement versus kind of a harsh chattery engagement if that's kind of what you're talking about it was definitely harsh at the beginning um like i killed it several times when i was like what like you know when you're driving a stick and you know like oh i've i screwed that up and i killed it 
like I'm thinking I didn't screw that up and it just died. Why is yeah, it, that- you know, um, I had a few of those moments and so, and so did Randy. Um, and so it's, uh, uh, and that's not happening anymore. Um, so maybe I'm just getting used to it, but it, it feels like it, it broken in is the best terminology I can think of to use for it. Um, it just feels that way, but whether that's factually accurate or not, I'm, I'm not sure. Well, I'll tell you what, when they put a brand new clutch and resurface the flywheel, uh, when you take it in for it to not catch on fire, uh, you'll have another data point because if it feels like it did before and then changes again, you'll have you'll be able to repeat that experiment and see if it if it happens again or if it's something with a slave cylinder uh, settling in to, in some way. So I'll need to have uh, you guys drive it before I get it fixed. I volunteer. I, I will I will take that bullet. Um, you volunteer as tribute. Oh, you I haven't driven it lifted yet. I have not. I saw it. It was beautiful. Oh man, you guys should you guys should go flex out on some rocks and stuff and take some Instagram photos. Well, we should pull up and like rev it in front of Jeff's house. <laughs> That's fine. Been there, done that. You, yeah, you've done that. I was really hoping Andy would come back and do it in front of my neighbor's house a few more times just to piss her off. <laughs> like, until, you don't even have to come say hi to me. Absolutely just, fucking perfect. You don't even have to come say hi to me. Just pull in, just <laughs> rev it a bunch until she comes out steaming mad and then leave. I'm good with that. I'll, I'll, I'll have my dad swing by on the lightning. There oh, you go. Geez. Do a couple of Brodies in the in the uh, yeah. in the cul-de-sac. <laughs> hey, yeah, that's so, all I got. Tire smoke or blow by? There's a little bit of both for the lightning, as I remember it. A little bit of tire smoke. Well, a lot of tire smoke. A lot of blow by. Yeah, a little, a little bit. A little bit of each. Yeah. A little blow by never hurt anybody. Two scoops. Two scoops. Speaking of two scoops. Um, Jeff, uh, what is your yeah, what is your scoop on connected cars? Oh yeah, I I did send you guys a link this this weekend uh, about connected cars. So, um, one of the other uh, things that I uh, I don't know if I'm necessarily enjoy, but I'm somewhat passionate about is data privacy and uh, you know maintaining some type of uh, privacy in a, like a, in a digital age um, where it seems like most people have more information online and in places that they are not comfortable with, whether it's uh, willingly or not. Um, and and that's something I've always tried to rein in uh, personally. And uh, it, it's come to my attention lately with some videos published on YouTube that uh, modern cars are becoming kind of data centers uh, for aggregating and selling uh, customer data um, as you use the car. Now this, a lot of people that aren't data or privacy conscious really say, well, I don't really care. I don't have anything to hide, but that's not the point of privacy. It's, uh, it's, it's your right. It's not something that you want to have shared with other people. And it's, inevitably something that could uh is opening you you up to vulnerability for um hacking or for data or uh i guess uh information being sold or or uh or whatever so your your private information could end up in the hands of someone you don't want it to and it could be used for malicious intent um 
And so what what we're seeing now in the trend of, of modern cars is uh, with with things like uh, with your maps, with GPS enabled, um, you know, uh, I guess there's more app integration into cars where you can, you know, place orders for food or you can call, you know, uh, an Uber Eats or you can do this and that. All of that information is being collected and aggregated by your car and then being sent back to uh, a data center, which is then sold to data brokers. And that those data brokers take that information from your location, where you tend to go, and then they use that uh, to, to sell you targeted ads, essentially, um, in other areas. So, you know, if you ever are driving by a Domino's pizza or you say I'm I'm interested in having pizza you guys want to get pizza for dinner and then suddenly on your Google you see an ad pop up for pizza or Domino's or whatever on the YouTube video you're watching that's some of what is happening so your cars a lot of new cars have uh, microphones built in a lot of them have cameras built in um, and there's no regulation on what can be recorded how it can be used and where it can be sold. So uh, these these uh, companies that are taking that information are, are storing your private requests, your conversations potentially, um, and, and then using that to gain um, some type of financial advantage without your knowledge or consent. Um, and it's it's they probably legally have it covered somewhere in your contractual agreement when you buy the car, but that's not to say that, um, you know, it's, it's being held up on their end, you know, and, and most people don't have knowledge of that. So, um, again, trade-offs of, uh, convenience for privacy seem to be something that we're seeing a lot of lately. Um, what are your guys' thoughts on that? Do you think it's an issue? Um, I know, a lot of people have concerns about Alexa and connected devices in that way. Um, this is the same thing um, with your vehicles. So something that is always potentially listening, minimal security uh, provisions, no manual turnoffs for your microphone. Um, what are your thoughts on this? So a quote comes to mind. When you're talking about uh, connectivity in cars and in houses, and uh, in my opinion, it's all generally the same thing. But, you know, I don't know. It just popped in my head, uh, the Ben Franklin quote, those who give up a little bit of liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. But in either regard, I think uh, the whole thing about Echo or Alexa or the different technologies that you have in your vehicle, uh, whether it's OnStar or, or that's the only one I can think of right now, but all the different types of connectivity, they're super convenient in a lot of ways. Um, and they can help you out in positive ways um, a lot. But there's also other ways. It's basically like they're really cool technologies that help you out a lot. But it really depends on who's the one controlling them, because if they have uh, malicious intent, it's very easy to carry that out. Or if they're just trying to create a cool technology that helps make our life more convenient, then then it's great. And I know that 
we have used those technologies a few times at my work to to find people and to do different things like that. So, yeah, it really just depends. If Oh, I'm not giving up anything you can't find on the Internet. They know where you are all the time. They are developing patterns of where you drive. And they are developing patterns of how long you're at different destinations that you drive to and what routes you take. And they're utilizing it for certain things that are very innocent, like trying to give you, based on what your common routes are and what traffic patterns are, um, trying to give you the fastest route to get to your normal destinations. So the other day I had that exact thing. I got in my car and I'm both a little proud of this and a little pissed off that it tracked it. Um, it said it's going to take you this long to get to my gym. And I wasn't going to the gym. And it suggested that all on its own. I hadn't even opened the mapping app. And my car suggested that. And so it's, you know, to me, it was kind of like, well, that's interesting. And honestly, that's what would be relatively old technology, which is just voice recognition. And, uh, and so, you know, I absolutely believe that it's doing that, but that, and that's exactly what I'm saying. It's, uh, that stuff is really cool and it's really nice, but you know, that's my only caution on it is just realize what the trade-off is because everything they're doing revolves around money. They're not going to create those systems for just the initial investment that you're making when you purchase the vehicle. They're, they're making it for the reciprocal income that they're getting from the advertising and from the selling the data to companies that are going to profit on it. Exactly. It's not a, it's not a one-time investment. So as long as you realize that and you're like, yeah, I don't care. I just, I want all the convenience I can possibly get. Um, then cool. That's awesome. They have some really cool stuff that's going to work amazing for you. But if you are uh, a little worried about that stuff, then just realize when you get vehicles that are newer and have the touchscreen and GPS and all that stuff, you're not alone in your car. Okay. Do, do we want to move on to a different kind of topic? And uh, you were right. Um, that was... Benjamin Franklin, he who would trade liberty for some temporary security, deserves neither liberty nor security. Uh, ha! I knew is, it. That is correct. Did that go dark? I didn't mean for that to go dark. <laughs> so we're going to talk about supercars now. Yes. Now, like a year, year ago, year and a half ago, we recorded an episode that was lost to the ages uh, due to a technical glitch where uh, Jeff and Andy and I talked about supercars. So with that one far enough in the past, we're going to try it again. And this time we get we get Dan, Dan in on it. So this is kind of a continuation of our Dream Ride segments. Um, so this one's going to just straight up supercars. Uh, and we're going to be a little bit flexible on this because it's a very vague topic anyway. But we're all going to come forward with our favorite um our favorite topics and just go, go from there. Um, I'm going to roll the, the topic wheel and uh, select who's going to go first. Uh, Dan, you came up first on this one. So did I, uh, you did. All right. So, so 
what what's your favorite supercar and then kind of tell us tell us why and if you have some vital stats let us know if not uh just why you why you think it'd be the one that you would want in your garage so i went slightly different on this route um back in 2019 uh i went to vegas and i decided to do the uh drive the supercars on the track thing and uh they had 19 supercars out there they had a bunch of lamborghinis and ferraris Audi R8, Nissan GTR, a bunch of Porsches, um, uh, GT3, GT3 RS, GT2 RS. Uh, they had a couple of McLarens too. Um, so I got to walk around and sit in them and, uh, and all that. And I ended up um, uh, driving a Lamborghini Huracan, the rear-wheel drive version, not the all-wheel drive and a Porsche 911 GT3. And uh, so I was going to go off of those two because I've driven them on a track. Um, and uh, so the Lamborghini is exactly what you would expect. Um, it looks cool. It's super loud. It sounds awesome. It was a rocket ship in a straight line. And, uh, and I loved it. But that Porsche 911 GT3 is the best car I've ever driven. And it really surprised me because um, I had never been a Porsche fan. I had never been um, anything. The only reason I added it on is because they were doing a special for it where it was like half price. And so the Porsche had 500 horse. I don't remember what the torque was. Um, and it had uh, – uh, help me out here. What's the Porsche uh, paddle shifters? Not It's not DCT. PDK. 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 There we go. So it had the PDK in it. Um, that thing was incredible. It was uh, – the best way to describe it would just be like a go-kart on steroids. Um, I, I, I have, I've been through driving courses before and I drive fast quite often at work. And uh, I was coming into corners that on a regular road would probably have a 25-mile-an-hour speed sign. And I'm coming into them at 60 feeling confident. And the guy who's the instructor to the right of me in the passenger seat is asking me why I'm going so slow. And like the, the, the car didn't care. Um, it, it was like it was on rails and uh, it was so precise and the shifts were so quick, um, so responsive. It was just an absolutely incredible vehicle. And, uh, and I loved it. The Lamborghini got a little faster. I did about 120 on the straight with that. I think it was only like 115 in the Porsche, but it was uh, um, that Porsche was incredible. And as far as like something that you'd want to, um, something up close to the supercar category that you'd want to own, that uh, in my opinion would give you the most, it would give me the most satisfaction in driving. Um, that has to be it. It was it was absolutely incredible. And I didn't drive the GT2 RS. They had one there. It actually passed me while I was on the track. But uh, that thing is just another huge notch up from that. That would be, I think my, without going into the million dollar supercars or hypercars, that GT2 RS would probably be my, my dream supercar. Um, just because if it's what I experienced in the GT3 elevated by 200 horsepower, uh, that would be, that'd be off the wall. It'd be uh, insane. So there's mine. You really, you really can't go wrong with a GT3. I mean, 
they're from everything I've watched and read, they they're one of the most impressive cars for the money that you can buy if you want just a track toy. Well, and relatively inexpensive because it uh, well, it's not inexpensive, but uh, the one I drove was uh, if you were to buy it new, it was one hundred and thirty two k. Um, which is very expensive, but as far as supercars go, it's not. Right. Um, you're normally looking at the two to three hundred grand mark if you're going to try and get into one of those. Your Lamborghinis, your Ferraris, your stuff like that. Which I'll say, the oh, what's the um, what's the Ferrari after the four five eight? The four five five? No, no, sorry, the uh, four eight eight. There we go. They had one of those there. Um, and I heard that driving around. That sounded incredible. Um, and that thing was crazy fast. But uh, um, but yeah, if you're not looking to get into kind of one of those, what everybody thinks of when you think supercar, it is it is quite, you know, it's 100 grand cheaper than one of those. Um, and, you know, the yeah, Lamborghini I, I, I drove was 200 and I want to keep this separated some. from hypercars. Like, we're not talking about hypercars. Like the LaFerrari... Uh, uh, McLaren F1, Bugatti Veyron, like that's that's a whole nother that's a Koenigsegg, that's kind of a whole nother level. I'm talking oh, like absolutely half half a million and under is kind of you know uh, under 220 mile an hour cars. Like right. that's that kind of where we want to be, and I think that the GT2, especially having since you drove the GT3, you're the one here here who has the most supercar driving experience. Um. Yeah, I think that thing definitely belongs on the supercar list because it's not a it's not a sports car. I mean, uh, maybe a Carrera or Carrera Four would be there, but once you get into the turbos and the the GT two GT three, I consider those at least nipping at the heels because when you you know consider the like the Ford GT is is definitely a supercar. I don't think you call that a, a sports car, but um, to compare the four GT and the uh, GT three or GT two. I think that's a fair enough comparison to, to put the, the GTs in, in that bracket. So I'm no, I would absolutely that. agree. Um, and then I would just say, if you ever have that opportunity to, to go out and drive those, it's a couple hundred bucks, but in my opinion, it was worth it. It was, it was a lot of fun. So um, but yeah, I have never driven a car, I, I would say, as precise and responsive as that GT3. It was, uh, it was incredible. So that's, that's where my pick goes. I think they're, I think they're just a wonderful uh, version of uh, what was a very practical uh, sports car, uh, supercar that they just turn up to 11 and make no longer, uh, you know, no longer practical they you know did yours have no back seats and the all the scaffolding as they say in the back so that is the gt3 rs that has the the quote-unquote scaffolding in the back um and so i was driving a regular gt3 which if uh you are height challenged you might be able to fit in the back seat but yeah it's it's basically just a car for for two people um, there were back seats, but they're not usable. It was a regular GT3. So I don't know what the price point is on the RS. I know it's lighter and I think it has a little bit more power, but not much. Yeah. Maybe I wish like, I knew what, what year it was and I could kind of give you some more, 
some more information because when what uh what year was it that you you drove it i drove it in 2019 and i think the gt3 i drove was either an eight i want to say it was an 18 okay then that's definitely what they call the 991.2 gt3 uh which was a four four liter flat six 500 or sorry um 493 horsepower uh 339 foot pounds and uh with the pdk that thing's just a hair over 3100 pounds that's that thing would be so good with nears makes no difference 500 horsepower and 3000 pounds and uh it'll do again nears makes no difference 200 miles an hour uh that that thing sounds awesome three and a half seconds to, to 60 yeah yeah, and it revved forever. I, I don't know. I think the red line is close to nine grand. God, it's, and out of a flat six, that's going to sound so good. No, it's it sounded awesome. Um, and I think yeah, it's, it, it's a red line of nine thousand. You got it right on the money. Um, and uh, and I showed you the video of it, but it's it you can hear the sound in it. I mean, obviously the Lambo beats it in sound just because it's a crazy Italian V10, well German V10. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you're comparing the, engine uh, note against a, a Lamborghini. Come on, right? Um, but it, it was uh, it was very very good. So yeah, if you guys ever get the opportunity, it's worth a couple hundred bucks for for that experience. It's it's a lot of fun. Who's next? Well, that's that'll be up to you. I'll have whoever goes will throw to the next person. So pick your victim. Oh um, well, I'm curious based on the notes in the script uh, for Jeff. So I want to have Jeff go ahead. Uh, yeah. So speaking of 9,000 RPM Porsches, uh, my uh, I, I guess supercar slash dream supercar for me would be a Singer 911, uh, which is the uh, Porsche uh, as reimagined by. Uh, the automotive company Singer, um, which, uh, if you are familiar with them, they are one of the most beautiful cars ever made. Um, they take a Porsche 964 body uh, from the uh, early 90s. They strip it down, completely cutting out all of the metal with the exception of the window frame. They fill in all panels with carbon fiber, custom wide body moldings. Um, they do a 17 and a 19, I believe, inch uh, all aluminum or magnesium wheel with a single uh, with a single um, spindle nut uh, for uh, for mounting. Um, they have large brakes, 9,000 RPM, 3.8 liter, um, and I, be- uh, I believe, uh, yeah, 500 horsepower. I can't remember. I think it was. Um, some European company helped them design the engine. Um, but yeah, these cars weigh about, I think they're about a 2,200 pound car. Uh, yeah, 2,180 pounds. Um, yes. and they're, they have, uh, aircraft, um, uh, aircraft, uh, sound deadening, uh, used in them to keep everything light. Um, and, uh, and properly, uh, you know, uh, damped inside so it's nice nice to drive uh, lots of uh, aluminum trim uh, magnesium trim leather in all of the right places 
I mean, it is the, if you're a Porsche enthusiast of vintage Porsches, it is the best car you, you could buy, uh, for a vintage Porsche. Um, they're unbelievably beautiful. And from my understandings, they handle and drive just spectacularly. Um, you know, 2,200 pounds, 500 horsepower and a, uh, and a, uh, you know, 9,000 RPM engine. I mean, oh, I guess, I guess, sorry, I said 3.8. Now they're a four liter, um, uh, 500 horsepower engine. Yeah. I think it's the same engine that Daniel was just, uh, referencing. I'm pretty sure it's yeah. the same exact engine. Yeah. So a I, thousand I think what they lighter. did is they, I think what they did, I think they worked with Cosworth to develop, uh, a set of rods, and uh and a crankshaft that were lighter so you have faster revving engine um so you have very a very free sounding free revving engine um lots of power on tap uh any any time you want it um and if i mean again i've never seen one of these in person i would love to um they really evoke uh evoked the spirit of the uh of the early 70s 2.7 rs porsches uh but with kind of more a little bit more of a modern flair and aggression but without all of the added driver aids i mean it's it's a hot rod porsche it's got a big engine big wheels and tires big brakes and uh great suspension it doesn't have all of the computer trickery it's got a manual transmission um, it's, it's raw sports car and, you know, 500 horsepower and 2,200 pounds is a lot to handle. Um, so that's, that's my choice. Well, I, I, I think that counts as a supercar <laughs> at that much, <laughs> that much power and that light of work, uh, light of weight. And yeah, the, the engine is, is reworked by, by Cosworth, uh, and Ed Pink Racing. Um, and Williams, uh, Williams is known from F1 and of course Cosworth, if you know any, any fast forwards, especially from Europe. And the first time you said Cosworth, I heard Andy's ears perk up. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, that sounds like a supercar. I mean, they're, they're a beautiful work of art, uh, for sure. And they're definitely fast enough, uh, and handle well enough with all the carbon fiber and stuff. So. I think that counts, um, and it's also more expensive than what uh, uh, Daniel brought to uh, brought yeah. to bear because they start at a half a million, and they had one that reached was able to reach one point eight million dollars. Jeez, yeah, they're <laughs> they're not a cheap car if you're looking for a a fun classic. Wow, excellent. Um, all right. Uh, you got a 50, 50 shot here. Uh, who, who do you want next? Oh, um, I think we're going to save Randy for last. Let's go with Andy. I think Andy, tell this me, is going. Tell, tell me I was right. I, uh, I, I guessed at it earlier. Tell me, tell me I was right. Oh, the focus doesn't count as a supercar, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> Points to Danielson. Uh, yeah, I think you all know where this is going. Something foreign something british something named something named celine 
yeah the the Celine I'm I, I'm just taking a shot it's the Celine s7 uh yes sir yes sir solid okay yeah is there a second supercar just by chance because my guess was another American car the 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 second is an honest toss-up between the Ford GT Ford GT which is mm-hmm. the obvious second choice and which the one? 599 GTO Oh wow. Oh, 599 is amazing. Which which Ford GT? Let's just get this one straight. 05 or oh, uh, 05 18. Mark 4. Okay. And to be clear, your S7 is going to be Lizstick red. Yeah, well, there's no other choice. <laughs> I like him in the yellow. Ew. 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 Don't say that. It's a oh, God. It's What's your problem? To be like yeah. Ban. Banhammer. Yeah. Get get this guy out of here. Get this guy out of here. <laughs> Who's hosting the show okay. now? Not me. <laughs> I fire myself. Fire. Yellow cars are not. Yellow a canary, yellow. Oh, God. Oh, terrible. Yeah. S- okay, S- what, S7's the, the clear choice. Okay, to, for those who aren't aware, give us a quick rundown of the of the S7, why it's amazing, and then why you would want it in your garage of all things. I mean, the S7, you know, came out in 2000. Uh, originally, it was an NA motor car, 550 horsepower rated. Uh, basically, they took a 351 and built it to the hill NA to get 550 out of that thing. And it just, it's just a monster for what it is. It's a long, sleek looking car. Um, you know, it's got fins and gills everywhere in it. Uh, it's got, you know, the, it, the, the doors don't do it for me, but they're kind of neat. They've got, you know, the, that Lamborghini style door that kind of lifts up. The scissor it's just, doors. It's, it's, it's the whole car. It's just, you know, it's not just a, you know, a, another, like a four GT, you know, another offering. It's a completely ground up built and engineered car. There's so much time um you know and thought process and design and manufacturing that went into that car um you know on top of it you know it's a very low production kind of deal um you know that that's kind of what does it it's there's it's it's just a combination of all the things that went into that to make that car um you know and then it then it just got better they i think it was like oh six i want to say um they decided to slap some twin turbos on it. Uh, twin turbskis. Um, yeah, slapped uh, two two turbos on it, and at only five and a half pounds, they got seven fifty out of that. But is that even usable, Andy? Hundred percent. The car is designed for it. It's not just throwing it at a, you know, a, a special production. You know, it was like throwing 700 at a you know a, a, a absolutely stock you know 2003 cobra would have been unusable without a heavy amount of work this car was designed from the ground up to be totally capable you know at even a thousand it would it was just designed for it and um, it today it was second basically only to the enzo ferrari at the yes, time i mean exactly. it, it it really did move mountains uh, as far as actually working well. Exactly. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, and you know, like I said, it just, it, they got better through the years, you know, they, they added the twin turbo model. Um, and then, you know, recently ish in 2017, they 
released the the LM, which is kind of the um, you know the the relaunch of it. Um, it's more of a you know race inspired version too. Um, and then of course they did race. Uh, they had the S7R, uh, which was the of course the race full race prep version that they ran. Uh, you know, in the early 2000s as well, too. Um, I believe that, that won a couple of championships for a couple of years uh, in Le Mans. And does your does your affinity for it have anything at all at all to do with the fact that Celine is also a uh, well-known and well-regarded regarded, uh, Mustang aftermarket fitter? Oh, sure. I mean, that's that's where it you know they that's where it kind of came from you know Celine was doing mustangs for years you know back in into the fox body days and then you know so they were a, a well-known you know in the mustang world for um you know adding adding their their flavor to mustangs for years and then when they brought out the s7 it was just like you know top notch well, let's let's get some 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 perspective on this car uh, it's curb weights about 2,900 pounds. Again, it's, it's built off of the seven liter 427 Ford Windsor. Um, so it's well, not yeah, the 351, it's, it's, it's 427. It, no, no, no. It's built off the 351, not the, not the big block. It's board. It's a board and stroke 351. 351 oh. Windsor with a, with a stroke or crank and a larger bore. Yeah. Okay, so they made it. They made it out to be a four twenty seven seven liter. Right, right. Okay. It, it was a better it was power plant for the Windsor using block. a small block. Yes. Okay, well that that makes sense. Yeah, the, the thing's just that's just so crazy, uh, crazy fast. I mean, zero to sixty again. This is this is two thousand and six that they went twin turbo, I believe. Uh, and yeah, zero to sixty in two point seven does the quarter mile in ten and a half seconds. Top speed of nearly 250, 248 miles an hour. That's incredible. And a, and a quarter mile, and a quarter mile at that that kind of quarter mile in 2000 was insanely fast. Yeah, for, 10 yeah. five. For, that's lights out. out of the out of the gate. That's still fast. I don't care what anybody. It's says. still fast, right? Wow. Yeah, that that's so does that... that's amazing. Does that leave us with one last person to tell us who their or what their favorite supercar is, right? Who's that? Wayne. We all know Randy's, you know, a big Bentley Continental fan, but (laughs) we can probably just skip over that. Yeah. Hey, you you joke. There's there's no news there. Ask me if I drive a Continental to work or not every day, every single day. Oh, I think we all would. I would not if I have money for a Bentley. Why am I going to work? <laughs> to pay for your Bentley. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, so um, I'm weird. I like weird, uh, unreliable things. And uh, my don't we all? <laughs> don't we? In reality, isn't Dan the only one that doesn't? <laughs> I don't know. He's about to catch boy, fire. <sighs> Dan's is about to catch fire outside his apartment. So <laughs> that's true. <laughs> It'll be fun. <laughs> don't don't come at me with an FCA product and 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 say it's the reliable one. Don't don't do that to me. <laughs> Points. <laughs> My BMWs usually start. Um, 
I like I like weird stuff, and uh, my my lineage comes from whales uh, over over uh, in Europe. So I I found this car in boy, I think it was a video game test drive unlimited. I'm uh, talking two thousands, early two thousands. Yeah, yeah, old. Yeah, old. there's there's a a bespoke car company called Noble. And they've been on Top Gear and stuff. They make really good cars. Uh, they make one called the M600. That to me is just this. It, for me, it evokes the same kind of response that the 2005-2006 Ford GT does for me. It just has that shape that isn't. It doesn't look like a 90s car. It doesn't look like a modern car. It definitely looks like a 2000s era car. Not unlike the S7. You know, where you're like, oh, I, I know. I know this and growing up, you know, at the age that I did, this was kind of what would have been a poster on my wall uh, if I had known about it. But so the M600 has a big V8 that is um, actually sourced from a Volvo XC90 uh, SUV. Um, it's it's a Yamaha designed uh, 4.4 liter and they're pushing 650 horsepower out of this thing in the 2000s. I That's mean, crazy. It's they're... zero to 60 in three seconds, uh, 120 in 8.9, and it'll go up to. There was a guy that would have. There was a guy that would bring a noble to Cars and Coffee uh, every once in a while in uh, Wilsonville. There oh, were yeah. there was always a crowd around the noble. Yeah, I've I've stood next to one in my life, and it's this is true with most supercars. It's incredible how small they are. Yeah, they're and not. I, they they look larger than life in pictures because they're so wide and so low. So your yeah. perspective is kind of skewed, and then you see them in real life, and they're really wide and really low. But you know, they're not they're not big. But yeah, at, at a I Cars think... and Coffee, I was standing between a uh, uh, a four five eight Italia and um, whatever uh, number soup McLaren was out at the time. Uh, <laughs> I don't like their naming. I like their cars. I don't like their 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 naming, but whatever that was 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 I think it was the twelve C. But yeah, they were. I'm just looking at them, and there was a. There was a Lotus Elise, like two cars over from them. I kept looking at the Lotus, then looking at those. I'm going, you know, if you just double the size of the engine in that Lotus, it's basically one of these. I mean, they're they're crazy similar in size to like a yeah. tiny Lotus. Um, yeah. So the Noble's no different, but um, I mean, this thing is this thing is a true car. Like, if you want to start doing the uh, beat your chest, blah blah blah. I mean, this thing has no ABS, no stability control. Uh, it has traction control, but barely. And you can turn off the traction control, um, but you have to flip up. You have to flip up like one of those um, toggle switch covers on a fighter jet to, to <laughs> turn it to turn it off. Um, and you can you can wick up the horsepower based on what you want, which is not new now but it, it was then you could go just 450 horsepower is enough uh you know for now it was like oh no 
now I want 550. No, no, now I want the full 650. So you can kind of decide how insane you were in the, the mid-2000s. That's awesome. It's a sick car. It is a really cool car. Yeah, and it's it's a six-speed manual in it. Like, this is this is before things... Boy, I... I okay, Boomer. Um, you know, back when cars <laughs> were cars. But it, it really is uh, just... It has all the things that I want it to be without the modern... It has the modern speed without the modern conveniences, let's say. It's It's kind of the minimalist supercar that you need to just go out... It's an engine, it's powerful, it's good suspension, it's everything that you want in a in a sports car, supercar. Yep, and they, they built it in a shed in a field in uh in Wales. So We yeah. like it for the same reasons I like the singer and the same reason Dan likes the GT three and the same reason Andy likes the S seven. Because they're we grew simple. up in that era. Yeah, well they're simple and they're they're fast and they handle well. They're light. They're raw. They're just they're unchained. None of our none of the cars we picked have a bunch of nanny computers or all wheel drive or anything. They're rear wheel drive. They're fast. They're light and they're nimble. You know, they're everything that we want in a balanced car. Well, they're going to give you the most complete driving experience. Yeah. It's, you know, it's you. Mm-hmm. And also, like you said, going off the going off the regular path there, you know, you're not picking one of the mainstream companies. Noble is a much smaller company, but they created a really good product for that specific genre. Yeah. And I would say I would say even like uh, the Celine was a was, you know, a left field pick as well. I mean, you come into one of these one of these lists and. You expect to see Ferraris, Lamborghinis, um, you know, again, Porsche is even kind of a, a left-hander because people don't consider short of like a Porsche turbo. They don't really consider them. It's not what people think of when they think supercar. They think, you know, fins and canards and it's from the one of the top supercar companies. But I think everything we picked is unique. And, you know, you can say there was two 911s on the list, but they have they have an engine in common and that, and then the name Porsche and that's, that's it. Like they may both be nine elevens, but those two vehicles, if you drove them back to back, they would not be the same experience in the least. Well, no, not at all. They're, they're completely different in what they're meant for. One's more nostalgic and one's more, you know, yeah, more, more modern, but still it's one of the most stripped out of the modern Porsches. Well, we need to uh, go pick up these vehicles, uh, which Jeff picked the most expensive one by a long shot. Am I doing it right? <laughs> I don't know what the S7s are going for now. I know they were they were what two fifty, maybe five hundred. Uh, orig- originally four. Yeah, four hundred. So that's pretty close to the minimum for yeah, Jeff's car. I don't know what the LMs went for when they came out and couple of years ago no, i think i saw there's one for sale for a million right now in lm yeah, that sounds about right excellent do we have any further thoughts on uh supercars i will have one before i die yeah we'll, we'll, we'll get we'll get there um if nothing else uh that's what forza is for <laughs> that's 
That's as close as I'll ever get. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Same. Excellent. Well, um, that sounds like a show to me. Thanks for sticking with us. Uh, This was fun. I enjoyed it. Um, Definitely uh, check out all the stuff. Uh, Check out the episode of Just Another Side Quest here on the network with uh, Jeff and I talking uh, PS4 releases and Fallout uh, mostly. Um, It was a good episode. It was fun. So It was a good time. That will officially bring us to the end of our 37th episode of Garage Night. Thank you for listening. Be sure to follow us on Instagram or email us at tinydogpodcastnetwork uh, at outlook.com. Also check out our other family shows at tinydogpodcast.com. <laughs> uh, uh, feedback is always welcome uh, on the usual avenues. Uh, quick ratings, reviews, iTunes, wherever you get your feeds from. Always appreciated. Also, click through the Garage Night link at the Tiny Dog website to visit our beta Garage Night website and tune in next week to hear Randy talking about upgrading to an M3. Oh, shit. Oh, boy. Hey, if that happens, I'm down. That works. That's news to everybody. Just natural progression. (laughs) Oh, I, I, well, it depends on the generation. I don't have time for this. And without further ado, <laughs> <laughs> from all of us here, we would like to wish you a very good night. Good night, y'all. Good night, everybody. Good night. All right. Boy, howdy. <laughs> listening to the garage night podcast a special thanks for jeff tracy and annie tamlin for joining the show this week until next week keep turning wrenches